0: we've been focusing on the gifts of the spirit and and we've loved the journey of talking about holy spirit and it's such an incredible privilege for us to talk about someone so incredibly important as him holy spirit and it is holy spirit that would often sometimes in our lives he would he would lead us in ways that we didn't anticipate necessarily and so actually i was in the falls last weekend and and thinking after we had done our Sunday, continuing about the following Sunday and, and what my responsibility would be in terms of sharing. Um, Kilton did a brilliant job last week and talking about the power gifts. I was thinking, okay, I'm next and I need to prepare. And then in that moment, I felt this this uh, interjection coming. I felt God's spirit lead me to something else. And these words came up that are on the board. I I started thinking about this morning. And um, I then phoned, uh, spoke to the elders. I said, guys, I, I just kind of like, I need to just pause this morning on the gifts. And I felt there's something that we need to talk about as a church. And, and it is that important to me that I felt, and I'm not saying that this is more important than any other Sunday. I just felt to, to approach particularly the leaders and, and our helpers and guys that are volunteering and serving in various ways to please be here this morning. Because I felt that there's something that God wants to speak to us. And so I just want to pray right now in Holy Spirit. I just want to say that my preacher is not the is not the key. It's your presence that's the key. Um, and I thank you that you come and speak to us. I do want to ask right now that you will do that. Far beyond what I could ever say. I pray, Lord, that this moment will be one of those moments where we just again stop and say, here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true. I pray that for all of us. I want to ask you as you sit there and your eyes closed, I want to ask you this, just to pray in your heart and say these words. Here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true. Speak what is true. And I pray, Lord, this morning is that indeed our hearts will be open to hear your voice, the truth being spoken to us. And as we hear your word, I pray, Lord, that it will penetrate our hearts and that the response will be that which will bring glory and honor to you. I trust you for that. In Jesus' name I pray to ask you to go to the book of Ruth. If you know the first five books of the Bible, go to the end of the five, then you can jump into Joshua, then after Joshua you'll find Judges, right at the end of Judges, the next book will come up, which will be Ruth. All right, we're going to read a chunky portion together. We value the Bible, we, we want to encourage you always, bring your Bibles to, to these moments. I'm not going to let the words be up there this morning. I want you to read it. And if you have a device, swipe to where the Bible is. Move away from WhatsApp now or the games. Thanks, Talani. That's great, buddy. Uh, <laughs> but, but let's focus on the word together. And if you don't have a Bible with you, kind of share and ask who you can read with. And if you don't, then just listen. This is a story. That's probably one of the most amazing love stories in in the Bible, and I'm not going to be able to go through the love story portion this morning. We're just going to look at the the first chapter and and take some things from there that I believe is going to highlight this title called Kisses and Clingers. And at the end of this morning, I want you to be able to understand where possibly you may fit in. Are you a kisser or are you a clinger? All right, so this is obviously not one of those very... Politically correct messages during COVID-19 regulations where we talk about kissing and clinging. But this is more a spiritual thing, so just relax. I'm not going to ask you to kiss one another. So don't go anywhere, Brett, just stay where you are. (laughs) All right, so this is just spiritual, all right. And if those of you that haven't kissed your wife yet this morning, you're welcome to do that now. Because you may want to. I don't know. If you don't want to, that's fine. First chapter, chapter 1 and verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. This is now in Judah, where the Jews lived, all right? And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. Now, Moab is like, this is Judah, then you have the Dead Sea, and Moab is on the other side of the Dead Sea. So if you want to go from Judah to Moab, you've got to cross around the Dead Sea to get here, okay? You with me? There's a little bit of a geographical lesson there. That's for free. All right. And it says, he went there to the country of Moab, he and his wife, and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephratites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went to the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. These took, these two sons, took Moabite wives. They weren't not amongst the, the Jews, so they were looking for wives, and so they took Moabite wives. And the name of the one wife was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years. And both Malon and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and a husband. It's amazing. Just pause there for a moment quickly with me before we further, go on further. Here we have a husband that in the land of Judah, he says, guys, there's no food yet. Let's go somewhere else. Now, God had, before this incident, had taught his people to always ask him for advice, to always come to him as the sole provider. It seems, this is just from the story, it doesn't say anywhere in the story that that Elimelech went before God and said, God, there's no food here, where shall I go? He assumed, it seems, that it will be better for him to go to Moab and go and sojourn there and live there. And the unfortunate thing is that in that country, he dies, both his sons die. So they leave these women all widowed. Mom, Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth. The question just often is this. We've got to make sure, and maybe there's not a question, it's a statement. We've got to make sure that whatever move we make in our lives is always going to involve God. Don't just, well, wow, there's a famine. The obvious thing is move to Moab. Let's get out of this mess. Let's go where it seemingly, seemingly is better. Grass is greener on the other side of the Dead Sea. So they go to Moab, and unfortunately, and I'm not saying that, that God judged them and then God killed the men. I'm just saying that there is this reality that for us as people of God, we've got to make sure that the plans that we pursue are the plans of God for our lives, not just the seemingly right ones. where Everybody says, oh, it's got to be the right thing for you to do this. Make sure, and as men, by the way, If we can bring Elimelech's story, and possibly, I'm not adding to Scripture, I'm just saying possibly, he did not lead his family in the ways of the Lord and did not consult together with his wife and say, hey, let's pray about this. It's it's difficult at the moment, but what is God's will for our lives? Let's not do the assumed thing, everybody says. By the way, nobody else moved. You don't see a, a great trek across to Moab but that all the Jews from Bethlehem moved? It was just this one family. Could it be that Limelech was so taken by this and overwhelmed by the, the current situation that he just made a move? So be warned in a sense and, and be encouraged that, that God wants to lead us, not our circumstances. And we're in a situation today in this country where circumstances can so easily guide us. But it's the Spirit of God within us that should be the loudest voice, not our situations and our circumstances. So just this is kind of like for free, just kind of on the way to kissing and clinging. We just want to say, make sure that we, we hear God on these matters. The sad thing is this, that when Naomi returned, she said, Don't call me Naomi, because Naomi actually means pleasant. He says, Call me Mara which means bitter. And so she had become, in her own words, she had become bitter, being in a nation where she assumed things will be better off for her and for her family. But she returned a bitter woman. We cannot, because we don't have proof of that. We cannot lay that at the feet of Elimelech all and say it's all his fault. But it challenges us as particularly men this morning. Guys, when you lead yourself, when you lead your family, you've got to make sure that you're taking them to the waters, not the place where bitterness awaits them. And it's a choice here that Naomi had to make to become bitter, but she lost two sons and a husband. How many of you would come out strong out of that? It's difficult. And by the way, just... Marty, I just want to, on behalf of the church, just, it's so good to see you here this morning. Marty lost Uncle Buck, it's two weeks, yesterday, and uh, he was such a dear friend of this church, and uh, thank you for coming, it's good to see you, and our hearts are with you, and uh, Uncle Buck is an amazing man, but he's in an amazing place today, and we celebrate that, and God's um, comfort upon you and His hand upon your life as you carry on from here forward. So, and I, I'm so glad to to see, and I know you personally that you don't come out of this with a Mara next to your name. That so there's not bitterness upon your life, but there's a thankfulness for God's grace upon your life. May that continue to be so. So, unfortunately, Naomi comes back in that state. And it could possibly be, ladies and gentlemen, that the family missed God. So anyway, she now finds out that things had changed. And so that's where we read on further. Verse 6, it says, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So there's food again in Judah. And so they want to go back. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi, so now they're on their way back. These are two Moabite ladies married to Jewish men. But she reckons, she says this to them in verse 8, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each one, each of you in the house of a husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they, both of them, said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that, may become, that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I'm too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband that night, this night and bear, should bear your sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the, Lord, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Verse 14, listen to this. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people. This is Naomi speaking to Ruth now. One has left. And she's gone back to her people and to her gods. God with a small g. And God's in a plural form. Because the Moabite had their own gods. Return with her, your sister-in-law. But verse 16 says, but Ruth, I love these places every time it says, but Ruth, but Ruth. But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. Now listen to the statement that she makes. For where you will go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. And your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw this, she was determined to go with her. She said, no more. Naomi realized that she's not going to convince this, this girl. She's committed to come with her. And so what we find here is what I want to term this morning a critical moment in this story. A critical moment arrives when Naomi decides she wants to move back. She's lost what she had come with. There's no reason for her to stay here anymore, she felt. And there's food again back in Judah. So she wants to go back. And it leaves these two two ladies at a critical moment where they've got to decide whether they stay or whether they will go. And she, as we read, she releases them from returning with her, and she says, go back to your people. Go back to where your, your parents' home is, and maybe you'll find a husband again, because unfortunately you've lost your own. And I want to say that in this critical moment, there are often serious decisions that ought to be made. They had to. It's changed their life. At least it did for for Ruth. And critical moments come unannounced in our lives. Nobody of us knew that seven months ago we will have to go through something that we've been going through all along. Those things come, and and they're critical moments that come come very surprisingly unannounced, and some of them are quite dramatic, but we've got to make decisions within those critical moments. We find throughout Scripture that there are many such critical moments. One of the first critical moments arrived when Eve was looking at this fruit, and she was told, take, and you can have. You'll become like a critical moment that changed everything for humanity. We find various critical moments throughout Scripture. Abraham standing there and is about to kill his son Isaac, and a critical moment God provides a ram and he didn't have to. A critical moment is when when Moses is is standing at this bush and it's burning, but it's not consuming the bush and, and he hears God speak to him. And God says, go and take my people out of Egypt and lead them into Israel, into the promised land. Critical moments, critical decisions that needed to be made. Some went wrong. Some decisions that people made weren't so great. Jesus' critical moment says, Father, this cup that I need to drink, I'd I'd rather drink it than avoid your will. Paraphrasing, he says, not my will be done, but yours. Such a critical moment that led to the salvation of billions of people ever since. Critical moments come. And I do believe that we're facing a critical moment again as people of God. Not just people here on earth. And I do believe, obviously, there's a reality with that. And, and what this COVID thing has done, it has shaken the world and, and upset the world and in terms of the ways that, that people have operated. We can't do this anymore. We've got to do this. And, and it's this change that has come. But in that moment... I believe, as people of God, we're facing a critical decision that ought to be made in a critical moment. And the decision involves this. Kissing or clinging? Kissing or clinging? So here we find Orpah. In her mind, as she faces this critical moment, I can just imagine. Orpah saying, where, where, where Naomi wants to go to, it sounds okay, let me go with her. But then when the second time when she is encouraged to rather stay, she's in her mind saying, I ah, I never thought about this, but, but you know what, I've never been to Judah. I don't know nothing about, it. my husband would have probably told me a few things about Judah. And, and, and I know about this God that they're serving, but I don't know anything. There's no pictures that he could show me. Oh, how many of us when we go somewhere we quickly go onto some sort of a internet site and just read up about things and, and try to associate and, and try to kind of just connect a little bit with, with this place or perhaps even the people. You don't know somebody and you heard about them and you just Facebook quickly, let's find out about this individual. And I mean information is just so readily available these days, isn't it? Isn't it? Thank you, thank you, thank you for that. Um, so the point is that here we have Orpah, and, and just try to work it through in your own mind. She had no idea of where she was going. As a matter of fact, the family that she married into actually fled from this place. Who wants to go back to a place where they were fleeing from? Huh? She's like, no way. I mean, you guys didn't want to be there. Now you want to go back and want to take me with you? No, just let me think about this. First time it was like, yeah, oh, that sounds okay. Second time, hmm, No. I'd rather stay. I'm more familiar with Moab, and, and I know people, you know, I talk their language, and I don't want to let my world be changed so dramatically. Maybe the belief system of Elimelech and his sons, believing in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, was possibly not so convincing to her, because possibly they themselves didn't have a convincing faith. Hence them leaving. And so when she would remember what her husband had told her about this God, maybe she realized, well, I don't know whether he was actually convicted about those things himself. I don't know if I want to go there. And so she pre- prefers to return to the God of ancestors. ancestors. She goes back to where she feels perhaps more secure in. And so what she does, she's affectionate. She, she loves her mother-in-law. Like we all do, amen. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. If your mother in law is still alive, praise the Lord. Keep on loving her. She mine loves me. She just adores me. It's like I'm the whatever, no. Um, so so she in in response to Naomi, she says, I, I love you, but I can't. I'll kiss you and I'll turn back. We have another lady that comes from the same situation, and her name is Ruth. Ruth does the following. She would have had the same experiences that Orpah had, from the same tribe, same people, heard about God from her husband. But when she was confronted in this critical moment with a critical decision to be made, the little she knew was enough to convince her, I'm not going to just kiss and turn back. I'm going to cling. I want to pursue what I believe is right. Maybe she also knew that when she goes to Judah, she's going to be a Moabite woman. And although the Israelites and the Jews had a, had a godly value built into them that you've got to receive those strangers and people from other countries, you're not allowed to marry with them. So she must have known that, hey, if I go back there, probably a little chance for me again to find a husband. But you know what? There's something that I want to pursue, and I believe it's right. And so Naomi, don't ask me to return. I'm clinging to you. She says, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people shall be my people. Your God shall be my God. And this is what happens. Orpah left after the kiss. We never, ever hear from her again. Never. Not, she's not condemned, not saying, oh, they were so bad, but the decision in that critical moment that Ruth made to say, I'll go with you, the result of this is, you can go read Matthew 1, that the name of Ruth appears in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, because Ruth became the grandmother of King David. She moved to, to Judah and Aggressive Ruth, you can go read it, just a wonderful story of how Boaz received her, and, and they married, and, and they had a son, and they became the father um, of Jesse, which became the father of David, and we find this woman appearing, She's a, she became an ancestor of Jesus Christ, her name. Is mentioned. It's amazing when you go read the genealogy, you read it this way. It says, and the son of so was that, and the son of that became this one, and that one, and that one. And then when it comes to Boaz, which is the father, which is the paternal kind of line, it says, and the father jo- um, Boaz had the son, I think it's Obed, by Ruth. Ruth names, Ruth's name appears as a female in this genealogy that's mostly male-driven, male-honored. And how's that? That critical moment, critical decision that was made, brought her into this incredible genealogy. Jesus Christ was the outcome of that. And so, I want to just define for you what a kisser is in this context. And I want to define what a clinger could possibly be. And I want us to be able to, after that, say, God, sure, thank you. Thank you for what you've done. Or, God, I think there's some adjustment that needs to come. You ready? Okay. So we have said it's not right to condemn Oprah for her actions, but it is clear that it led her to a different path than the one that Ruth went on. It's clear. She may have gone back, married. She would have been in an, involved, in an environment where they served other gods. And that the choices that we make form our character. And certainly, it seemed like Orpah made a decision. So her kiss may have showed a great outward confession, but little inward conviction, a conviction or pledge. So we can come in this context again. And please don't go and generalize all kisses. and Say, ah, I don't know, you kiss me, but where's your heart? No, don't don't do that. It's it's more related to the story that it seemed like she had an outward confession to say, know me, I love you. That's where it stops. And Jesus would in Matthew 5, 15 and verses 8 to 9, he quotes from Isaiah 29. He says, guys, guys, you you, you come with me. And, and maybe related to this story, he says, you come and kiss me, but your hearts are far from me. He says, you come and say, Lord, Lord, but your hearts are not with me. I don't see your hearts connecting to me. And he could see, he could discern so deeply that he would know exactly where our hearts are. And he could see it in the hearts of those people that came to him and said, Lord, Lord, you're amazing. And he said, guys, you call me Lord, Lord. You confess some one thing, but your hearts are far from me. You're kissing me, but you're not clinging. When the going gets tough, we all disappear. When it's tough to meet, it's tough to meet. And we kiss quickly. What's up message? Guys, good to hear from you. That's it. Hey, I love you. You're all here this morning. Praise the Lord. Well done. But there's a pursuit that we need to make in terms of our king that says, I'm not going to just kiss my king. I'm going to cling to him. There's a kiss that we are so familiar with, and it's the kiss of Judas. He kissed Jesus pretending that he was his friend. Jesus actually called him and said, friend, you've got to do what you got to do. Jesus saw him as a friend. But Jesus didn't see him as a friend. He betrayed his friend. And so he came and he kissed him, but it was a kiss of betrayal. His mouth said one thing, but his heart was far from Jesus. And so when we look at these words, we've got to assess for ourselves, where do I stand? And I'm not here to condemn anyone. I'm just calling us. This is a critical moment for us as people of God. We cannot just kiss. We've got to cling to our king. Not because we just need Him, because we do, but we cling to Him because we love Him with all that we have. It's worth clinging to Him. A heart, a kissing heart is a heart that wants to attach itself but not willing to belong. She says, I want to be, initially that's what she said to Naomi. I'll I'll come with you. But maybe she was actually saying, I don't want to belong. So I'm interested in, in the perks, but I'm not willing to pay the price. What can I get from this? And when I come to the point where I perhaps realize that the price is too high, then I back off. And I'm like, hey, I think I'm going to go back. This is too much for me. Um, thank you very much for the invite. But you know what? Bless you. No hard feelings, but I withdraw. And you know what happens? It's the same in our pursuit of God. Because that's the analogy. That's the the application is, how do we kiss God and move away? Do we just, I read the scripture every now and again, and it's like that kissing moment. Love you, Jesus. Great, but I've got to go do my thing. When given an opportunity to opt out. I move out, and and in John 6 verse 66, triple six, don't get afraid now when we talk about triple six, because that's fine, all right, don't get all worked up now, John 6 verse 66 is a brilliant verse where it says, the disciples that Jesus, not the 12, but the other disciples that followed him, when the going got too tough, is that they, it says they refrained from following him, they were kissing him along, kissing, 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 just, oh, Jesus, it's so great to be with you. And then when Jesus says what he, what he often said, guys, when you follow me, you've got to lay down your life for me. I don't want just this kissing thing. I want you to cling to me. When the clinging was mentioned, the kisses disappeared. And we're in a time where we've been challenged a bit, and I say that a bit with, with much respect, because I know that many of you have had financial challenges and, and perhaps even physical challenges and that. But I want to say this, if we consider the bigger scheme of things and the bigger picture, Jesus says you will have tougher times that'll come. It's not going to become easier for us as people and as believers, definitely. If this is a time for us not to kiss our King and just, I love you, I get from you what I want, and then I do my thing. This is a time for us to seriously cling to our King and say, there's nothing more important in my life than serving you. I'll lay down my life, even if it means I lose my life, but for you, my King, even at if, if only our names, if only my name could appear like Ruth's name appeared, where it says, but Ruth said to know me. But Ruth said no. If it only can be, but Vessi said no. I will not go along and just kiss my king. I will cling to my king. If only that could be said of us, that this is the way we live. We're not kissing. We're clinging. A definition of a clinger is this. I really read read the word, the Hebrew word for it is dabak, D-A-B-A-K. And dabak means that I I stay close. I'm loyal. It's almost like I'm glued. I'm glued to you, Naomi. Wherever you go, Naomi, I'll go with you. Your people, they're my people. Your God is my God. I'm glued. And could that be our testimony, that we are glued to our King? that no matter what we see around us here, we're like glued to him. Say, Jesus, I don't want to let go of you. I so love you. Yes, I'm desperate for you. I cannot live without you. But I love you so much that it's not worth letting go. I don't want to just kiss you and say, well, I'm one of those that, yeah, I'm a Christian. But, you know, when go going get stuff, I lose my connection. Psalm 63 verse 8, the psalmist writes this. Beautiful words, it's the same Hebrew word, dabak. He says, my soul, he speaks to his God. He says, my soul clings to you. My soul dabaks you. And I'm glued to you. Actually meaning, Lord, come rain, come hail, come wind, come whatever. I'm glued to you. I will not let go of you. I'm not going to just kiss you. I'm not just going to have this outward confession. I want to have this inward conviction that no matter what happens, I am glued. I am stuck on my king. There's this way old song in my days. I think Lionel Richie sang the song, I'm stuck on you. Remember that? I'm stuck on you. Got this feeding that I live, whatever, whatever. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> and it actually says, listen, you don't, Whatever you say, I'm stuck on you. That's what some of you said the day that you got married. Remember? You've forgotten that. You're stuck on each other. No matter what they say, no matter what they do, I'm stuck on you. That's the confession that we need to have before our king and say, I'm not just going to kiss you, Jesus. I'm going to cling to you. That's someone who decides to follow Christ and stays close to him no matter what the cost. And the cost is clearly defined for us. Luke 14, you've got to read some of it from verse 25 to 23 where Jesus says, you know what, when you follow me, you've got to lay down your life for me. This is not this come and kiss me and and just visit me and, and, and come and enjoy me when you need me. You lay down your life for me because you belong to me. That's what it means to be loyal to him. Faithful, dedicated, devoted, steadfast. 2020 has been and still is a very critical moment for us as people of God. We have heard and must probably know much about the faithfulness of God. Just as Orpah would have heard about the God of the Jews. We are faced with the reality of decisions we ought to make every day of our lives. The question is, will we be content just to kiss the Lord? Express some kind of affection and affiliation and interest in Him? Or will we actually walk away and live our own lives and just continue to do our own do, our own thing. Just kiss Him, do my thing. Just kiss Him, do my thing. Just kiss Him, come to a gathering, walk away. I do my thing. Or would we forsake everything that we are familiar with as a human being like Ruth did and said, Moabites, they're my people. I've grown up here. I'm familiar with this. I'm not familiar with that. I don't know the unknown, but I want to let her God become my God. I'm willing to let go that which is familiar to me. Would we cling to what we know is right and put all we have on the line to pursue him? Would we be prepared to say yes to Jesus, knowing it, mean, it may mean that we say no to everything else and so many other things? There's a the challenge before us just using these two simple words today. Am I kissing? And time would limit us from expounding more on that. But really what I feel is we've laid the foundation just to express to you this morning that critical moments require critical decisions. And friends, maybe you have. Maybe you're clinging with all that you have. Maybe you'll say with the psalmist, my soul clings to the Lord. Nothing, I'm so glued, nothing's going to deter me from that. Nothing's going to take me away from serving Him. Or maybe you have been kissing. And pursuing God is just a kiss. Maybe you've not even pursued God. And this morning God's speaking to you about coming close, entering in a relationship with Him. My plea for you is, let us become clingers to our King. You know what? The beautiful thing about what Ruth said to Naomi, she said, you know what? I'll go where you go. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. Which in our context, I want to say this. said if we serve Jesus, if we cling to Him, we also cling to one another. There's a reality of the body of Christ that comes into effect that the COVID thing has been threatening to destroy. And this morning, we're making a declaration by your presence that we will not allow it to destroy what is valuable to us, the family of God. And let this not be a kissing moment for us where we come and say, yeah, it's great to be together. But let this be a moment for us to recognize our need to cling to him, but also our need to cling to one another. I need you. You need me. We need each other. So don't kiss one another and kind of forget about each other and live your life on your own. I love you. That's why I want to urge you into the beauty of the body of Christ that it's not good enough just to come kiss on a Sunday morning. It's great to do this, by the way. And I trust that we don't come and kiss, but we actually come and confess that we're clinging to our King and we want to cling to one another. And if you need help to make that real in your life, please speak to us about clinging to each other. This is why we exist. The church of Jesus is here so that we can corporately get to know our King and corporately cling to Him. And help one another when those moments become perhaps more kissing than clinging.